0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, looking really stupid and what I can only assume is a fedora. I'll explain that in a second. But first, let me tell you, welcome to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. We are, as before, live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Some combination of me, my co host here, Derek Klassen, Aaron Schatz, and Mike Tanier. Uh, but we've expanded our offering so you can catch us live on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitch, and on Twitter. So we'd appreciate it if you would follow along with this live. Feel free to ask us questions, but obviously also feel free to listen to us after the fact on the Football Outsiders podcast network. Derek, how's it going? I'm uh, I'm wearing this crazy fedora because I lost a bet with Football Outsiders writer Mike Tanier. I bet him straight up that the Panthers would beat the Cowboys, which he would probably tell me that I deserve to look stupid because that was a stupid decision. But what I would say is I still have a lot of faith in the Panthers this year. I think they're pretty good. Among the teams that you know we might have thought were fraudulent for the first few weeks because of the schedule. I think Arizona, everyone believes in now. They're third in DVOA. Kyler Murray's an MVP candidate. But the Panthers are still 12th in DVOA. The Broncos are 15th. And the Raiders are 22nd. And I would kind of stack them up that way. But as an impartial observer not tied to this bet, Derek, how stupid am I and how stupid do I look?
1: All I would say is that even for how much better he's looked, I don't think I would be willing to stake my money or my pride on Sam Darnold, especially against Zach Prescott. So that's kind of where I would have fell on that, but you know, seems sometimes you just got to, you just got to write
0: it out anyway. That was the goal. I'm actually, I've been very impressed with Sam Darnold, but Hey, you're the film guy. Uh, so, so what do I know? I'm sure Mike would, would say the best. Mike, congrats on your big win there, uh, but we can't spend any more time on this because we have a lot of waiver wire players to discuss every Tuesday, Derek and I go through the gamut. I write a waiver wire article up on footballoutsiders.com and I offer fab recommendations. And Derek, as more of a scouting expert with me, more of the stats guy, can kind of critique me and say if I'm too high or too low. That's what we're going to run through today. And we're going to start that out with Bears running back Damian Williams. Uh, the news that broke pretty recently today on Tuesday is that David Montgomery's injury, as the Bears were hoping and predicted, he didn't tear his ACL on Sunday, but he did hyperextend his knee and is likely going to miss next four to five weeks which opens up a pretty big window here for Williams to, to run as the lead back in the offense. Uh, I'm pretty optimistic because of that news. I bumped him up to a 65% fab recommendation, and I'm saying you should use your number one waiver wire on him if you can, but I've always liked Williams as a player. So Derek, what do you think is that too high given the only the month plus sort of expectation now with the Montgomery injury?
1: No, I mean, I think that's fine. Cause if you can get four or five games out of him, I think that's, that's plenty reasonable. And I think he's mm-hmm. probably still going to be plenty productive, um, he's a really different runner than Montgomery. Montgomery is obviously a little bit more between the tackles. He wants to get upfield. Um, you know, he's going to balance their contact really well, that sort yeah. of thing. Whereas Williams is a little bit more of kind of like a boomer bust. You want to get him into space a little bit more, maybe run some more outside zone type of stuff. And I think he even saw that in the game, um, where he got to play just this last week, even before yeah. Montgomery went out, like they threw a pitch to him and then they had another play where they like motioned him out to the flat before the snap and just wanted to get the ball out in space so that kind of stuff is not necessarily there with Montgomery um the other thing that I would say is kind of encouraging is that last year without Williams Montgomery kind of dominated their target share out of the backfield even though he's not really seen as this like great receiving back or whatever whereas more this year they have kind of split the receiving duties and it seems like they really already trust Williams to do that so now with Montgomery out of the lineup obviously he's probably going to get a pretty nice uptick in targets there
0: I think so, too. The one warning there would be maybe that Tariq Cohen, who's on the PUP list, could potentially be back by week seven. So I'm a little concerned there. But as mentioned before, and I think as backed up by what you're saying, I think Williams is a really good player. I mean, it's kind of an out of sign, out of mind situation because Williams opted out for COVID concerns last year. But back in 2019, he had a 10.8% avoided tackle rate for the Chiefs. That was eighth highest among running backs with 100 or more carries. 3.0 yards after contact per attempt was fourth highest. And while, you know, maybe that was a little bit fluky, like you said, I think he's more of a like swinging around the outside guy, not necessarily a between the tackles type of runner. I think he's elusive. And I think that's what kind of what you're popping up there. And so, you know, even if he's getting sort of a modest volume of carries, a modest volume of targets, you know, maybe the rookie Khalil Herbert will be in the mix a little bit. I think that's going to be enough to, to make him a temporary running back too. And that's just really valuable right now. when there's just not enough running backs to go around in fantasy, right, Derek? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I would agree. And like you said, I think since we already know that Montgomery is going to be out for probably at least a month, I mean, that's, even if he kind of loses his, you know, his share of, of targets and and mm-hmm. and uh, carries after that to still get a month, out of, a month of startable play out of a guy that you can pick up right now. I think that's plenty valuable.
0: Absolutely. All right. I mean, I think that pretty much sums it up there. So why don't we just go ahead and move on to the Baltimore Ravens where I'm suggesting Latavius Murray still available in more than half of leagues right now. He is a 16% fab bid. Uh, Murray ended up playing the lion's share of the snaps last week with the surprise Tyson Williams in activation. But based on what you had told me about Williams as a pass protector and Le'Veon Bell, maybe this shouldn't have been as big a surprise as, as some of us thought in the fantasy community. So Derek, what are your thoughts on Murray specifically, but the Ravens backfield in general? They were tricky to
1: figure out because with Williams, you know, I had said it, I think maybe two or three weeks ago that. He's clearly their best explosive play guy. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. he's the best guy that they can get outside the tackles, get into space, that sort of stuff. But, you know, like you had just mentioned, he's not very good in pass protection and he just doesn't do a lot of the stuff that would raise the floor for a rushing offense. Whereas I think Murray is is kind of the opposite. He might not necessarily be the most explosive guy, but I think he's really good at getting downhill when he needs to. He's not really going to waste time. He's not going to waste steps Um, and he's a lot better in pass protection. So, It seems like I thought they would kind of want to get explosive plays out of the run game and have Williams. But it seems they're more just valuing the floor at running back, praying that Lamar Jackson can get all the explosive plays in the run game. And then hoping that when they get, you know, the receiving room a little bit healthier, that will also help get some explosive plays. So it seems that that's kind of the direction they're moving, which also explains the Le'Veon Bell snaps, which he didn't get very many targets or carries. But even then, even still, I think he probably brings us a little bit higher of a floor than Williams would.
0: And he, I mean, Bell immediately passed Devontae Freeman in the offense playing 27% of snaps versus 8% for Freeman. So even if the team decides to bring Tyson Williams back, I mean, I'm not sure it's going to be at Bell's expense necessarily. So maybe Bell is a worthwhile consideration as well. I recommended him as sort of a modest two or 3% uh, idea too, but Murray is clearly the star of this. Uh, he played 31, 36, and 33 percent of snaps in weeks one two, three. Jumped up to 62 percent last week. Had 18 carries. That was eight more than he had in any of the first three games. He's not a pass catcher, and I mean Bell is probably going to be that in the short term, or Williams if he comes back into the mix. But my thought was basically like if you were relying on Gus Edwards as a fantasy relevant option in in your league last year, then then Murray can be that. Like that, it, it's maybe more skewed towards standard versus PPR leagues, but Murray's going to get a hefty amount of carries and probably be productive because the Ravens always let the running backs be productive with their scheme. Right.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And like, that's the thing is that there's always going to be a productive running back in this system. I think just projecting which guy it would be earlier in the year was a little bit trickier, but um, I think now they've kind of shown their hand with how they think about Tyson Williams, at least until maybe he fixes some of his issues. So like you said, I think the, the Murray fat bit is, probably pretty reasonable because I think he's going to continue to get a lot of a lot of the carries in this offense so.
0: we've got a user thought more than question I guess on the YouTube chat remember that we are live on YouTube among other platforms right now so you can jump on there and ask us questions every Monday through Friday 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time he's saying that he recommends that you trade Logan Thomas for ruining his week four uh, in fantasy Unfortunately I think Thomas injured himself I think it was maybe a hamstring injury could cost him a couple of weeks so Thomas will probably be fine for you in fantasy once he gets back. But I'm not really sure there's anybody to pick up on the team in the interim, unless you're just looking at Curtis Samuel as sort of a player on the rise in general. But back to the main guys I think we're discussing today for the waiver wire pickups, we're going to move on to the number three option is Trey Lance, the quarterback for the 49ers. I'm saying an 11% uh, fab recommendation here. And I honestly, I could say that's that's way too low or way too high. I'm not totally sure. I'd love to get your opinion here. The reason that it's sort of the timing now is that Jimmy Garoppolo had a had a calf injury, was kind of playing through it, had to sit, is in my mind likely to sit for, for this week. And I think the team is on bye in week six. So maybe he'll be back after just the one game absence, but it's not like Garoppolo has been lighting the world on fire. And so much of the, the potential value with Lance is about his rushing ability. He ran seven times for 41 yards playing just 51% of the snaps. So I'm not really sure how much I care about how effective he is as a passer, but I was saying the same thing about Justin Fields. So uh, maybe help me out with this, Derek. Do you think that Lance is a worthwhile fantasy addition?
1: I mean, I love Lance as like a long-term being the guy in San Francisco, but I'm not sure I love him right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of that is just, we always knew he was probably going to be a pretty inconsistent passer, like you mentioned. Um, you know, he, he hasn't really played football in a year. He was young to begin yep. with. he had only started one year. His mechanics were always kind of, you know his his accuracy probably needs a little bit of work and i think we saw that a little bit in the the game that he played so i think that's going to be a little bit of an issue um what i would say that is maybe encouraging even though i'm not sure i would go for the 11% fab bid the encouraging part is that a lot of his runs weren't designed like he they were they were doing some option stuff but he wasn't really taking it a lot of his runs were just he didn't like what he was seeing on the field mm-hmm. and then he scrambled and took off and so i yeah. think if we assume that if he gets a full you know a full game of starting they're going to get a lot more of those design runs in and he's going to get some value there so um that that would be the argument if i were to make it but i still think he's probably going to be really inconsistent early on and i i think it's possible that even though jimmy hasn't been playing very well yeah. if he gets healthy it's possible that you know kyle might just try to keep playing him anyway
0: yeah I can see that. And one thing really supporting that angle is the fact that 76 of Lance's 157 passing yards and one of his two touchdowns last week came on just a total busted coverage on Debo Samuel where he was absolutely wide open on the right side of the field. And I think ran just like untouched for 76 yards for a touchdown. So Kyle himself could have thrown that one. Yeah. (laughs) I think I probably could have too. I mean, I would have been destroyed (laughs) before I got there, but, um, don't look at that line and extrapolate that and double that and say, oh man, Lance is going to be this good. So I, I'm really taking more the angle of what you're saying about if Lance is going to be a one read and then take off and run type of guy, that can really work in fantasy. And I think before the season started, we were saying that the 49ers offense and the, and the Kyle Shanahan scheme is so quarterback friendly because it relies heavily on short throws with yards after the catch. So like, even if Lance is going to be inaccurate, is going to make bad decisions or, maybe throw the ball a little bit too hard in some circumstances. I think he was less than 10% below expected completion rate last week. If he's going to run more than 10 times a game, I'm telling you that from fantasy perspective, he could still be really valuable. Do you think that the Shanahan scheme still is going to be something that can, can kind of work with a quarterback that even has some issues as a passer?
1: Oh, it might, but I think what's tricky is that Lance is somebody who I think they're really going to want to get the ball moving down the field more. And that's not at all what Jimmy does. So it's like a complete gear shift. And I think doing that in the middle of the season might be tricky for them to work out, especially because I think we've largely seen that the Shanahan offense kind of takes some time for guys to get used to, you know, even Matt Ryan, like it took him a year to really fully embrace what that offense was. So I think it's just one of those situations where I really like Trey Lance long-term, but if you're going to bet on him in the short term, I think it's almost strictly what he's going to be able to do as a runner, which, um, Truthfully, he looked a little timid to me on on the, the very little design stuff that they did for him, which is probably natural for a guy who's like twenty years old and, and is coming off of the bench in an NFL game he didn't expect to be playing in. So sure. maybe with another week of of play he'll you know, of getting the starter reps that he'll look a little bit more comfortable there. But um I think to me, if you're gonna bet on him, it's pretty much all what he can do on the ground right now.
0: I think that's fair. And even if I haven't piqued your interest there, I do have a couple more quarterbacks I think we may bring up and talk about on the show. So maybe I'll be able to convince you on those other ones. Uh, we got another question here on the, on the YouTube chat Zeke for Dalvin cook and PPR. Uh, I would say, yes, Dalvin cook is still, he and McCaffrey went healthy. I think are my top two options. I know that they both missed a little bit time early this season, but I think that's a definite goat for, for trade there. Uh, This next one, I'm a little bit less sure. So my number four waiver recommendation at 8% is Alex Collins of the Seahawks. Uh, He had a surprising amount of work, I would say, in week four. 10 carries and two targets versus 13 and one for Chris Carson. Played 39% of offensive snaps versus 45% Carson, where the week before I would have said that he's kind of barely involved in this offense. But I'm bringing this up and making kind of a, a bolder fab recommendation because I've had my eye on Collins for a while uh, back in 2017, he was the starting running back for the Ravens, had 1,160 yards from scrimmage and six touchdowns, was actually third among running backs with a 15.3% DVOA that season. And then things kind of went wrong from him from there, got injured, ended up getting cut because he was arrested for you know drug possession for, for some other issues off the field. It's been four years, but he's back kind of making a little bit of a wave here, just 27 years old now. I've just been in love with this guy's talent this whole time. And do you you think that that's justifiable? Do you think he's going to have a chance to work into the Seahawks offense?
1: I think it's possible because I think if you look at this last game, the first quarter of what they were doing against San Francisco, the the offense was really like they were doing a lot more wide open. They were in 11. They were in, you know, they were detaching the tight end. Um, They were just doing a lot of stuff where they were trying to spread the field and then Carson would kind of be just like the, just punch in there. We spread the field, and then we tried to just run it up the gut. And it wasn't really working for them. And then after the first quarter, they were like, "You know what? We're done with this. We're going to bring in another tight end. We're going to condense the formations, mm-hmm. which obviously means you're going to have a lot more just garbage when there's that much more bodies that are there, right?" And I think yeah. the value in Alex Collins is he has such light feet for a guy who is his size. I mean, he's just he's so good at weaving in and out of, in and out of traffic like that. So I think. If they're going to lean more to that, you know, condensing the formation yeah. a little bit and stuff like that, he's probably the better guy for that because I think his vision and his, his manipulation of, of space like that is just so much better. And I think we saw it on one of his touchdown runs that he, I mean, he basically had Fred Warner jumping into a gap that was like <laughs> completely on the other side of the play. So, I mean, I think if, like I said, if they continue to lean into that, which I think is probably their best look on offense because when you get into more of that condensed stuff um, and you're just pounding the rock, um, and you're having these heavier formations, uh, heavier personnel sets that are forcing the other team to get yep. into base, you open up play action for Russell Wilson, and that's really where he thrives as a passer. So I think that should be their identity as an offense, and I'm hoping that Pete Carroll is smart enough to to just embrace that.
0: I hope so. We got a great comment here uh, that Seattle's got a really tough game. They're on the short week on Thursday uh, playing the Rams. So like I think last year the Rams may have been the number two run defense DVOA, so this may not be the total spot. Uh, to actually rely on, on on Collins from a fantasy perspective. But I also kind of like what you're saying about him stylistically, where he, despite being bigger, 210 pounds, I think at only five foot 10. So like in terms of a BMI type of perspective is a pretty big back, very light on his feet. I would say really sharp cutter, really quick accelerator out of his cuts, um, but also has really good hands caught the ball pretty frequently for that Ravens team, even for a team that didn't throw the ball a ton to their backs. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him contributing as a receiver more than Carson is. He had some buzz as maybe uh, the third down back for the team in the early season before Rashad Penny got injured. Um, And, you know, I think that he may contribute a little bit more in that kind of versatile perspective that maybe that would work a little bit better when you're trying to not just run it straight at Aaron Donald. At Aaron Donald. Do you sort of see that sort of versatile type of contributions that maybe make him a little bit more of an option for you in fantasy, too? Yeah,
1: I do. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, again, it's kind of just going to come down to is Pete Carroll and, and the Seahawks staff going to you know embrace that this is probably the best way that they need to play and stop spreading the ball or and stop spreading the field with formations. So, uh, again, you're kind of putting your faith in the Seahawks staff rather than hmm. Alex Collins's ability. So I think the ability is there. It's kind of just a matter of which offensive identity are they going to commit to.
0: So they do have a new offensive coordinator right this year. Like, and, you know, I'm not sure I have the sophistication to really tell you what's different and not, Um, but like, has that. So like Carson's been a very successful runner, obviously for the team uh, over the last several seasons. Um, I don't know. Is there any change with like the scheme or something that might change what type of back is effective or, or maybe just more generally shift workload from the run to the pass or anything along those lines that you, that you have thoughts on Derek.
1: I think to me, just a lot of what they did this year was they tried to, they tried to spread the offense out and like shift some of the, um, like some of the workload in trying to get your short yardage to, to the quick game for Russell Wilson, which like Russell Wilson's a great quarterback, but that's not why he's a good quarterback. He's not that good at the quick game. Um, And so I think they kind of just tried to shift away from that a little bit um, and shift more of their stuff into the quick Mm -hmm. game. And I think, like I said, in the San Francisco game, when they stopped doing that and realized that if we just condense the formations um, and really do a lot of what, like, the the golf Rams teams were doing um, and then get a runner who is obviously as yeah. clean as Alex Collins, I think that's really the formula that they need to keep leaning on. So, like I said, hopefully they, they start doing that again, but I don't know. We'll see.
0: Okay. Very cool. Next up, we have a tight end, Mike Gesicki from the Dolphins. I'm recommending a seven percent FAD bid here. Had another nice game on Sunday. Five catches, 57 yards, and a touchdown on six targets. Uh, his target share overall is 18.6 percent, which is sixth highest among tight ends. Actually, just snuck ahead of TJ Hawkinson at 18.4 percent. And I mean, two weeks ago I was telling you that Hawkinson was an obvious top four tight end. Not quite as sure now. But to me, the interesting thing about Gasicki is how his splits have looked with the different Dolphins quarterback so far this season. He saw just two targets with Tua under center. And while granted, Tua, you know, only made 31 pass attempts before he injured his ribs, that's a 6.5% target share, which it could be Brissett. It's been 25 targets on 119 attempts, a 21% attempt that would make him like a no-brainer top five at the position. So I'm curious, Derek, do you think that Gasicki has just had some positive regression here? I mean, this is a player that's Maybe I think in his fourth year or so we've kind of seen a slow build the way that you often see with the better tight ends in the league. Or do you think there's something about Tua versus Brissett that maybe have led to this increase in workload that when Tua gets back in week six, that maybe it goes away?
1: I you know, I, I don't think that, you know, cause what what did you say with Tua? He only had like two targets or, or something insane.
0: Two to Gasicki out of thirty-one total.
1: Yeah, I think that that's probably a little bit lower than it's than it would going to than it would be when Tua mm-hmm. gets back. Um, but I do think that like stylistically, the quarterback thing is legitimate. I think Jacoby Brissett is someone who I think they want to get in a little bit more like traditional dropback stuff, which I think opens up more opportunity for Gaseki. And I think Jacoby Brissett is a little bit more willing to throw to mm-hmm. the to the areas of the field that Gasecki is going to get his targets in, kind of yeah. over the intermediate area. Whereas I think Tua is a passer who really likes to have guys in space and try to like maximize yards after the catch, that sort of thing, which I think, you know, once he gets back is probably the receivers, if anything might be a little yeah. bit more valuable. So I think that would kind of be where I split it. So if you can get Gusecki for the cheap until Tua gets back, maybe it's worth it. But I think other than that, I'm not sure I love it, to be honest, especially because yeah. it's very clear how they use Gusecki. They, they, they split his um snaps in a very particular way. They have two other tight ends. Um, That they will put on the field because Gasecki just refuses to block and he can't do it, and so you really never see him in line. He's really just a receiver at this point, who kind of gets called a tight end, whereas the other guys are are more legitimate tight ends. And
0: you know, it kind of just depends on what they want to do with the offense. But yeah, so I mean, Gasecki, either the poor man's or maybe the rich man's Cal Pitts, depending on your perspective (laughs) of things. There, Um, I'm actually completely in lockstep with you here, which is which is interesting because the stats kind of tell the same story that you're seeing as a scout. Where last year. Gasicki had 2.0 yard average separation according to Next Gen stats. That was the third lowest among all receivers with 43 or more targets. With Tua, with the poor arm strength, maybe a little bit less willing to work the middle of the field, less willing to throw it to contested catch type of receivers. That's him and Devonte Parker, by the way, who I think mm-hmm. was tied for the lowest average separation. I I don't think it's a fluke either. And I mean, last year you're right. He to a targeted Gasicki 14.8% of the time. So it it wasn't nearly as low as we saw in the first game and maybe three plays in the second game before he got hurt. But you know, 14.8% is really, really different from the 18.6% that you're seeing so far for the full season with Gasicki, mostly with Purset under center. So I'm kind of with you that it's fool's gold, but I mean the target the target rate is high enough overall that I don't think you can totally ignore them. Because after those top guys uh with Gronk out now too, he's just like there may be three or four tight ends that you feel pretty good about, but after that, they're just, there aren't a lot of guys. Um, I'll let you tell me a little later whether you think he or Dalton Schultz maybe makes more sense. But, um, you know, I, I think it's in the range where you need to, to keep them on your fantasy rosters, but I do think starting in week six when Tua gets back, Gasicki may not be the same value that he appears to be based on the last two games. All right, we're getting bevies of questions here. Let me scroll back down and try to find this, this last one where um, we got Michael – asking us if he needs to panic trade any of his options has Justin Herbert, Dalvin cook, uh, Stefan Diggs, Keenan Allen, Melvin Gordon, Kyle Pitts, and is asking, he doesn't want to make any panic trades. I would basically tell him don't make panic trades. Like I think a lot of these guys are really good. Diggs maybe only has one touchdown this season, but he still has a top five target share going to be really good. Dalvin cook obviously missed a game and only played half this half his normal workload last week. That's going to be fine. Uh, I, we brought up Pitts. I, I still think Pitts is probably a top 10 tight end His his snap share and his target share s- sort of show that. But have you changed your mind about Pitts more so than we said even last week?
1: I, I mean, I just have to imagine the production is going to get there at some point. Like he looks so good as a football player on the mm-hmm. field and the, the targets just aren't there yet for whatever reason. Maybe it's in part because, you know, Matt Ryan's arm strength does look a little bit deteriorated and maybe he's less willing to target the intermediate the intermediate area, they feel kind of like you were just saying with Tua and the arm strength problem. It could be a little bit of that, but like, I just can't imagine somebody who is as talented as him um, and is getting open as frequently as he can. Like I have to imagine at some point it's going to pay off. Um, Maybe that puts you in in a hole too early and it it doesn't end up mattering by the time he um, does start to pop off. But like I said, I think you hold on to him and eventually it's going to work out.
0: I mean, I don't know who's going to be able to beat out Corderell Patterson for targets. So it's just, you know, that's not Kyle Pitt's fault. He just got drafted in a really bad situation there. Uh. Patterson's a hall of famer, man. You, you can't beat that out. He, I mean, I think he is a hall of famer, so you yeah, know, I, I won't, I won't provide any more commentary on why that might be. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Um, All right. I mean, we're still getting more questions. I'll try to get to them here and out. But again, if you're if you're on YouTube with us live from one to two PM Eastern, you can ask us questions and interact with us. We're happy to respond to as many as we can. Uh, but Derek, we've got a lot of guys still to hit on for the waiver wire recommendation. So let's keep that ball rolling with AJ Dillon of the the Packers. I'm saying a 66% fab recommendation here. Uh kind of like a guy we talked about a few spots ago um, in Collins. He had a surprising split of the workload with starter Aaron Jones this last week, 15 carries versus 15. Also for Jones also contributed a catch on a target. And has a bit a little bit more involved as a receiver this year with six targets versus two, all of last season than many expected. I would kind of put that in the Damian Harris bucket where it's like, it's not like it's a good total, but mm-hmm. given that it's higher than expected, maybe that kind of moves him a little bit onto the fantasy radar with the other skills involved but I don't know. Maybe this was like a weird one-off game. What are your thoughts on Dylan? Is he going to maybe make waves as the second runner clearly for the Packers?
1: I can see both sides of it because I think in terms of like a one-off game, I want to say Aaron Jones came into the game with a little bit of an ankle issue. So Mm -hmm. I think it would make sense that maybe they would just split up the carries a little bit more to try not to to re-injure Aaron Jones. So I think that could be part of it. But at the same time, like, I think even though they didn't end up paying him like Green Bay liked Jamal Williams for a reason. It's because he was he was really good between the tackles um and he was a really good pass blocker and I think you see some of the stuff the same stuff with Dylan um, they haven't like fully committed him to him in the same way but I think it's yeah. entirely possible that as the year gets on as the year goes along as they start to really find their identity as an offense what really works for them what doesn't work for them I think it's possible that they might value AJ Dillon's, um, you know, downhill style a little bit more. So um, 6% is maybe fine, but I I don't know. I I think that this is one of the ones that is a little bit trickier for me to figure out.
0: It's fair. I mean, it's it's like a lot of these guys, honestly. It's a little bit more speculation than it is here's a target to actually play for you in week five. Um, But the reason that I'm speculating a little bit too, is that Dylan hasn't really even been involved in the way that I thought might be the way in the preseason where the guy's like 250 pounds. Like, I mean, he looks like Derrick Henry. I don't think it's entirely a coincidence that a former offensive coach for the Titans ended up, you know, wanting this guy (laughs) on the team. And, it's he's got zero expect, zero rushing and receiving touchdowns this year, just 0.1 expected. Aaron Jones is at five touchdowns and 3.4 expected. But Dylan is the one that you would expect to be sort of the bigger after contact guy. He actually was number two among running backs in yards after contacts per attempt last season. Granted, if you lower the threshold to 40 carries, which is like basically all he had last season, but it makes sense that he would be really good at pushing the pile. And I feel like as the season goes along, that might be a good way to keep Aaron Jones out of you know, the injury concerns, you don't need to give him those carries. It doesn't really matter. Um, And you really want him more in space and catching the ball out of the backfield. So I think there may be a little bit more yin and yang here in the future, kind of like there was with Jamal Williams last year, like you were saying. So I'm willing to speculate that he ends up getting up to that. Maybe in the second half of the season, he ends up being one of the, you know, the 20 running backs that's scoring the most touchdowns, even if it's on a 40% snap share. Uh, So that's kind of what I'm saying here, maybe more of a deeper league option than anything else, but I think that he might have fantasy value even when Aaron Jones is healthy, which is saying more than most handcuffs can claim. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, So Trexel on the YouTube chat asks, which wide receiver has expedited expectations from last year to this one so far? I have an obvious answer, and then I don't know if you have one too, Derek. And it's for me, it's Mike Williams. Uh, This may be more the public expectations than my own expectations because the point that I've tried to hammer home with Williams – was that over the last two seasons he had the biggest shortfall in expected versus actual receiving touchdowns. He just looks like a touchdown scorer. He's 6 foot 4, a great leaper, great in contestant catch situations. Had 10 touchdowns on just like 40 something catches in his second season in the league. So I think it's been a really unlucky run to this year and it's all coming together both with knock on wood so far with him being healthy, with Justin Herbert being his quarterback now, being somebody that can really kind of win down the field and and it Enjoying a year two breakout. So I, I would say that Williams is a is a totally legitimate wide receiver, too, which I'm not sure if everyone is is believing that after last night's kind of quiet game or not. But that's the one that jumps out to me. Is there is there any receiver that you've been really impressed by so far this season?
1: I mean, I think Williams is a good one. I think the the way that the offense is structured now, um, especially with the guy they have at quarterback who's very willing to just throw the ball to to these jump ball players like that, um, you know, to a guy like Williams and to a lot of their tight ends. So I think he's a good one. I think Emmanuel Sanders has also been been really, really nice. And uh I yeah. think he has a better fitting quarterback for him now than he did last year. Obviously, Breeze like had a great career, whatever. But I think we like the the end of Breeze's career, you weren't able to get some of the downfield value that Sanders can provide. Um, and like I said, I think last week Sanders can do some of the shorts, intermediate stuff, but Part of his value is that he also helps you stretch the field. Yeah. Now that he's with with um, Allen and Buffalo, I think we're seeing a little bit more of like the totality of his skill set again. I think, um, you know, I think he had kind of been forgotten a lot about a little bit, but now, like I said, he's in a really good situation for him to get a little bit of everything out of his skill set.
0: Well, speaking of quarterbacks in their second seasons my my next waiver recommendation is joe burrow at a four percent fab bid and honestly i would be willing to spend a lot more but for me this is just about it doesn't really seem like there's very much buzz for burrow this season and i don't understand it maybe it's about herbert and you know burrow isn't as good as herbert or at least doesn't have the same arm talent at the very least right But if you just look at his numbers, everything looks amazing. 72.9% completion rate so far this season, 9.2 yards per pass attempt, nine passing touchdowns. All three of those stats are top five among all quarterbacks. And like, frankly, I feel like this follows the sort of general expectations you would have had for the number one pick last season with all of the offensive skill talent around him. Maybe the pass protection isn't great, but the point that I've been trying to make with him is that One sacks are more a product of quarterback play than offensive line play anyway. And two, he, he seems to have all of those intangible skills about reading defenses, you know, making changes to the pass protection based on the pressure that he's seeing in pre-snap all of that type of stuff that I think makes him look like a really, really good NFL quarterback to me. I would be happy to roll with him as a, as a quarterback one, the rest of the way. But do you think I'm getting a little bit carried away there, Derek? Have you liked what you've seen as well?
1: I I still think like burrow is good, but, I think they've gotten very, very lucky in terms of the fronts that they've played because I still mm. think that offensive line is not good at all. Yeah. But they played, I think, a Minnesota front that is not as good as people I think we're expecting heading into the year. Um, and then they played Chicago and got hammered. Yeah, um, And true. then they played a Pittsburgh defensive line that was missing a bunch of guys. They were missing T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, Stefan Tuit, I think, maybe Tyson Alalawale. Like they didn't have anybody up front yeah. um, to rush the passer except for Cam Hayward um and then they played a jaguars defensive line that really doesn't have any nfl players so (laughs) i think they've gotten very fortunate with the guys that you know the fronts that they've matched up against but to that point i think you can still play him and get a really high ceiling if he's going to to play against teams that that can't really rush him um i think so to me he could kind of be a little bit more of a, a gamble in terms of if he's facing a team that can actually get to him he he could have some bad games but I think if you can get him against a a couple of decent fronts and decent matchups where he's not going to get rushed very often often, and they can do a lot of the five-man pass pro that for some reason they love, even though they can't block Mm it, um, I think then he can actually be really productive. Because like you mentioned, even if the offensive line is great, if they can be okay enough versus bad fronts, Joe Burrow is very smart and they have just an unbelievable amount of skill talent. So.
0: I mean, I'm a huge advocate of streaming with quarterbacks. I think that's a strategy that fantasy players don't use nearly enough in their shallower formats. Uh, and it, it obviously, it depends on who your quarterback is. Like if you're if you're trotting out Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson every week, right. <laughs> you know, don't stop doing that for for Burrow's sake necessarily. But I think that if you're kind of in the back end of that top ten, you know, don't feel like you have to play Ryan Tannehill every week. Like a lot of these guys have really obvious tendencies, and and for Burrow, it probably is how much pressure do you expect the defense to be able to get on him? Because I think that's probably a pretty good lever for his fantasy value. One thing that's interesting here with the statistics is that Burrow has 6.1 passing touchdowns over expectations so far this season. Um, basically those stats are looking at where the, the touchdowns are coming from and is telling you that Burrow has thrown touchdowns from longer range than you would typically expect touchdowns to be scored. Now, from a running back and receiver perspective, when those guys exceed those totals, you're you're just like, this is going to regress no-brainer. With quarterbacks, it's a little bit more complicated because when Burrow throws a 40-yard touchdown pass to Jamar Chase, what he might be doing is preventing himself from throwing a 15-yard touchdown six plays later. So like, there's a little bit of complexity there. But the thing that's interesting here is that, you know, Mahomes is the number one surplus guy, and that's what you would expect. He's got tremendous arm strength, can sling it down the field to, you know, Tyreek Hill and whoever else. You're expecting him to lead the league in, in long touchdowns. But the, the rap on Burrow after year one was that, yeah, he's very smart, but may not have the arm strength to get the ball down the field. Showed really bad, I would say, deep splits last season relative to where he did on the intermediate and shorter throws. Has there been anything different with Burrow in the long game this season? Is it maybe just Jamar Chase himself? Is it maybe like you said, it's the defenses that he played? Is that maybe an area where uh, Burrow is due for a little bit of regression going forward?
1: I think this year is the regression because like his his numbers were horrible last year down the field. True, um, yes. and I think he was more accurate than those numbers showed, um, than you know the production showed. Um, but I think Chase is like the the perfect guy to kind of unlock him. Um, I think Chase is really, really good at winning down the sideline on just like a straight, you know, nine go ball or whatever. So, um, and I think truthfully, that's really the only deep ball Burrow can throw. I don't think he (laughs) can throw a lot of like the deep posts, the seam balls and stuff like those are tough for him. He just doesn't have the arm strength, um, especially if he's going to throw it late in the down. But if you have, um, you know, if you're just running straight four verticals or if you're running a stick concept and your outside guy's running the, the bus ticket go ball, then like, yeah, Burrow can throw that and Chase is really good at getting open on those. And so I think they just have a really good connection there and it's probably not going to keep up to quite the same degree that they've had to this point in the year. But I think it's probably still something that is not going to like totally crash down to earth or anything like that.
0: Okay. Well, let's stick with the Bengals for the next fab, uh, fab recommendation. Samaji Pirine, I'm saying a low 3% fab, but this is based on the report that Joe Mixon could miss a week or two with an ankle sprain. I think the key thing here is that you're always looking for the word high. Is it a high ankle sprain? And by all accounts, it isn't. And I've actually even seen some conflicting reports that Mixon may even be able to play this week. So who knows? I wouldn't get too carried away from that perspective. But the other reason here, too, is that I just don't think Samaji Pirine or rookie Chris Evans has the the versatility that Joe Mixon does, which I think is so critical in this offense because the fact that they didn't invest more in the offensive line grabbing a guy like Chase – I'm just not sure they have the run blocking to really make somebody like P Ryan, who's maybe more of a bulldozer through the tackles guy, not much of a contributor as a receiver. Is he going to be able to do much for you in fantasy if Mixon does end up missing a game or two?
1: I I don't think so. I mean, because to your point, he doesn't have any of the versatility that Joe Mixon has, which I think is going to be a problem. And also, I just think he's not a very talented runner. I mean, yeah. he's he's kind of, uh, you know, he's bulky, so he can kind of bounce guys off every now and then. But I don't really think he accelerates through contact very well anymore. Um, And he's not really a guy who's very shifty and going to make people miss in space. So I think he's just not a particularly great runner. And I think because of that, like you mentioned with the offensive line stuff, it's not like you can just generate yards in the ground strictly by how good their offensive line is. That's not going to happen. Mixon's explosiveness is kind of a big part of anything they get going in the ground game. So I think it would be more likely that they just – Revert back to okay. Joe Burrow is going to be an empty for eighty percent of the game, and we're going to yeah. replace our run game with uh, yeah. you know three yard passes to the tight end and that sort of thing.
0: I think that's probably fair. I- I'm going with Perrin here with the assumption that the snaps are going to play out like they have so far this year. He's out snapped Chris Evans forty-four to nine on the season, but it's also possible that you're just kind of reading that as is Perrin being a change of pace to what Mixon is specifically. So is it possible that maybe Evans is the one that ends up playing a little bit more if they need a little bit more than what Perrin is doing? Frankly, I don't really know much about Evans. I'm just kind of reading into the fact that he was a six round pick, hasn't played a lot this year, assuming that he's going to still take the back seat here, but is he any more versatile than Perrin such that maybe he would be the guy to benefit?
1: truthfully I don't really know a whole lot about Evans either so I'm not going to sit here and and lie and say that he offers something completely different so (laughs) I'm not sure
0: that's fair so like I would say maybe in your shallower leagues this is a situation to avoid but the one thing that I feel fairly confident saying is that like if Burrow gets this team down within the one or two yard line Perrin probably would be the back that kind of crashes that in for the touchdown so if that's something that might work for you if you've been if you, I mean, this is kind of a throwback, but if you were relying on Steven Davis back in his like later career days for fantasy value, then maybe Perrin makes sense in your league chasing touchdowns, but uh, maybe not the option that you would hope uh, given that he could be a, a pretty heavily used back with Joe Mixon on the sideline for a week or two. Let's jump to a back that I'm a little bit more optimistic about, although maybe more from a long term perspective than a short term perspective. That's Michael Carter, rookie running back for the New York Jets. I'm saying a 3% FAB bid here. Again, this is really more of a long-term speculation than anything else. But he has seen his workload increase a little bit, kind of busting out of his committee. His snap shares have increased from 25% in week one to 45%, 43%, and now 51% over the first four weeks. And his carries and targets have jumped from six in week one to 14%, 12 and 16 the last three weeks. There actually aren't as many running backs getting even 14 opportunities per game, the way that you would think that's top 30 among running backs over the last three weeks. So maybe Carter's trending. What do you think of Carter the player? Is he going to be able to benefit if he's not getting the the, like total lion share, I guess, of the work?
1: I think he can still be pretty decent. Um, I guess part of the hope is that you pray that when this uh, Jets offensive line maybe gets a little bit healthier and you have some of your younger guys get a little bit more time under them, that maybe the run blocking will get a little bit better and that could help him. Um, but I think Carter probably just offers the like a little bit of everything compared to some of the other backs in that backfield. Like I don't think anybody has a, like the, you know, Jamal Williams or Zeke Elliott like super high floor. Like they they can squeeze the most out of every run. I'm not entirely sure any of those guys have that. But Carter is probably the closest that they have to that, even though he's not like a huge back. Um, and I think he can be pretty effective in the receiving game. He's obviously really good if he can get into space. So to me, I think he probably offers the, the most of everything. And I think if we assume that they're going to try to keep, you know, getting him touches because he can do a little bit of everything, I think he's probably a guy who you can, can who you probably want to bet on now. And, and in a few weeks, he's probably going to be more of their number one guy, I would think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to assume that whoever the receiving back is for this team is the only one that has a chance at fantasy value, because if the Jets are Mm -hmm. going to continue to get blown out in their games, like the ticket to fantasy production is going to be those check down passes when they're extremely pass heavy later Mm -hmm. in games. And I do think that's Carter. But kind of what you were saying about the the overall versatility, I think Carter is bigger than a lot of people expect because he's only five foot nine. And so whatever it is that his weight is, it's probably 200 or, or not much over that. It plays a lot bigger at his stature. So I don't think it's crazy to think that he's going to be, you know, you know, pushing up toward 20 opportunities per game. It may be more like 14 carries and six targets kind of a deal, but like that can work for you when you're PPR types of formats. So I think that this is a pretty good opportunity to get ahead of things when he hasn't scored a bunch of touchdowns so far this season, hasn't really popped from a fantasy production standpoint. Maybe you can sneak that in and get sort of a flex worthy back in the back half of the season right now for, for, for cheap, right?
1: Yeah, I would think so. And and like I said, I think he just offers – I think the other two guys that they have on their their roster, um, Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson, they're both very, like, super boomer bust types, and I think at some point the the staff is going to just rely on Carter to be a little bit more consistent at some point.
0: Yeah. So in the YouTube chat, Benjamin Robinson pointed out from our last guy that Chris Evans is more of a receiving back, um, kind of putting that comparison there. So maybe he would get a little bit more in the mix than – than I would have suggested with the parent commentary. Benjamin Robinson would certainly know. He does all of the analysis of all the different monk drafts out there. So he studies these guys backward and forward. I would encourage everybody to check out his work. Um, but also point out too that, yeah, p- please feel free to chat with us, ask us questions, tell us when we're wrong. We love that, uh, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, live on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter, Monday through Friday. So we really appreciate that. Uh, but Derek, getting back to the last handful of guys that that we have as waiver recommendations for this week, Next up is LaVisca Chenault, wide receiver for the Jaguars. I'm saying is a 3% bid. The bulk of this here is the fact that DJ Chark unfortunately fractured his ankle on Thursday night. I think it's likely that he may miss the rest of the season, which cuts down on the number of like actual NFL options on the team to, to a pretty small number. Marvin Jones has still been getting the, the most offensive snaps every week. And even though Chark played 5%, you know Jones 93% versus 75% for Chenault, but Chenault maybe their best option from like a shallow target perspective, um, especially given that they're running backs, they don't really have a a true pass catcher uh, coming out of the backfield there. So I'm wondering if Chenault could maybe PPR his way to some fantasy value with a little bit less competition from shark on the outside, but what are your thoughts on Chenault or maybe more generally what you've seen from the Jaguars offense from, from Lawrence? Can he prop up some of these guys from a fantasy perspective?
1: I think with Chenault, PPR has to be the way, because I think as like a legitimate receiver, he just doesn't look very good right now. I think he's not very explosive um, getting out of his breaks. I think he's done a really bad job. Um, He's just constantly gotten hemmed up by cornerbacks. I think it was him who caught the deep ball um, from Lawrence was just like, Lawrence can do that, but I don't think that's going to be chanel every play. And I think betting on that for him, who a guy who I think generally does not do very well down the field is is probably like a weird thing to bet on. Um, I think to your point, he's probably more of like a PPR guy where they're going to hit him on a lot of shallows, maybe try to get him on like slants, maybe like jet touch passes and stuff like that. I think he's a guy you want to get the ball as soon as possible because he's really more of a running back who is like masquerading as a wide receiver. And so, yeah, I think that's probably...
0: His pre-draft thing was like, it it struck me as someone that doesn't really know. He sounded like a Curtis Samuel type. Like, is he a running back? Is he a receiver? We're not really sure, but hopefully we can get him the ball in space.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I mean, I think I even had like a joke tweet where I was like, if they don't announce him as an H-back, then like, I don't want to hear it (laughs) uh, when he got drafted. So um, I think he's definitely more of like a, you know, utility um, Mm -hmm. underneath type of piece. So again, in a PPR league, you could probably get away with this kind of bid. I think in a standard league, I don't know. I think betting I think on, on him. I don't I would want
0: him there either. Yeah, the,
1: I'm not very big on him in the standard league, I don't think.
0: But the PPR thing, like, Chenault has had seven or more targets in weeks one, two, and four. And week three was the week that he was dealing with the shoulder injury. So, like, it seems to be there. And with Lawrence, like, you know, I know in week one he almost threw for 400 yards and had just an unbelievable garbage time performance down a few scores to the Texans. Since then, it's been closer to, like, 200 to 240 passing yards per game. It doesn't seem like that's going to be enough, but... The thing about Lawrence is he like he's playing a, a legitimate NFL quarterback willing to make the mistakes, but forcing the ball down the field, not forcing like being aggressive, you know, not checking it down too much, that kind of stuff. And so like his wide receiver target share is higher than you would expect from a rookie quarterbacks. So I think it was like 13th or so at the position. So, you know, I think he probably can support your Chenault's, uh, your Marvin Joneses of the world, even if there aren't a lot of ancillary guys like tight ends and running backs that really have a ton of value around him. All right, next up, we have Jamison Crowder, slot receiver for the New York Jets, uh, hitting on this Jets value, obviously. 3% (laughs) fab recommendation. Kind of talking about the rookie quarterback angle, like I'm not sure Zach Wilson is going to be propping up a lot of these outside receivers the way that maybe Trevor Lawrence can. Not all his fault. I mean, the pass protection seems really poor without Makai Becton there. But the interesting thing about Crowder is that he is kind of a good bailout option for you as a slot receiver. And you were seeing that earlier in the year when Crowder was out with Braxton Berrios who in weeks one to three had a 20.6% target share. That was 41st among wide receivers. Well, Crowder came back, took 62% of offensive snaps versus 15% for Barrios. So one, I'm confident that he has that that slot job on lockdown. And two, Crowder last year, 25% target share was 14th among wide receivers. You may not have noticed because he didn't score a lot, which you may not this year. He also missed maybe four or five games, so it kind of slid under radars. But Crowder really could maybe be a flex option for you in your PPR formats. But do you think that that may be getting out of hand with also guys like Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, who missed last week with an injury, but it's going to play some of these these better skill options next to Crowder? Is that going to affect it, maybe make him a little bit less appealing from a fantasy perspective than I'm suggesting? I don't
1: know. I, I kind of like it. I mean, I think if part of it is like if we assume that Wilson is going to maybe get a little bit more, you know, clear-minded and how he's seeing the field as the year goes on, then maybe that probably opens up some more underneath opportunities for Jamison Crowder. And to your point, like he has the slot job on lock. I think when Elijah Moore comes back from injury, like they're, he's not, they're not chipping into each other's snaps, which even kind of is nice for Elijah Moore when you think about it. But I like, we'll have to see what they do when they get into two receiver sets um whether they favor more or whether they favor crowder it might be more just because i think he's a guy who can be outside and inside whereas crowder is more Mm -hmm. kind of locked to being an inside guy but i think when they go to a lot of the 11 personnel and they're they're trying to get a guy in the slot it's going to be crowder every time so i think he's going to get for sure the snap volume target volume is maybe a little bit reliant on on zach wilson learning how to be an nfl quarterback which yeah we'll see if that happens but I think the snap share is absolutely going to be there. So I kind of like it actually.
0: Yeah. It's like the way that I saw it this last week with Moore out, it was Keelan Cole was the major sort of beneficiary on the outside. He played 59% of offensive snaps. I didn't write it down, but I think he was under 25% or so the first few weeks. So I know this was kind of confusing entering the year because Elijah Moore was somebody you thought maybe had inside outside versatility. I'd say Keelan Cole actually has inside outside versatility, but to me it's clear that Crowder who really is a slot only option he's the guy that's going to be taking that work in 11 personnel. So I, I do think that when they fall behind and they need to check the ball down, if it's not Michael Carter out of the backfield, I think it's going, to be, it's going to be a Crowder. So I think that there's kind of an avenue to fantasy value there, even if the Jets aren't really having a ton of offensive success. All right, we have another question here um, for Michael Hammond, kind of uh, jumping back to the quarterback discussion we had earlier. Do you prefer Joe Burrow or Derek Carr from a fantasy perspective and I will say, like this is probably the perfect range to be playing the matchups from a weekend week out perspective. But if I were going to pick one and go with them, I actually would pick Burrow. I know that Carr had the the faster start to the season, at least from a narrative perspective. But like if one of those two quarterbacks throws forty touchdowns this year, I think it's going to be Burrow for sure. Uh, so I'm betting on the higher upside there. And I actually think the dramatically better skill talent, uh, which you know I know Darren Waller is is maybe better than everybody that that Burrow has to throw to, but. I just really like what's going on there. I think Burrow is really smart and kind of coming into his own, but you're a little bit lower maybe on what he can do this season from a fantasy perspective. So what are your thoughts, Derek?
1: I still think, you know, like I had said earlier, when we were talking about him, it's still probably a little bit like offensive line, defensive line dependent, but Mm -hmm. to your point with the skill talent, I think because the skill talent is so much better in Cincinnati right now, you probably have a higher ceiling where like, you know, good matchups are have the potential to look fantastic whereas like cars like sure henry rugs can hit on some explosive plays but like i don't think they have like this insane receiving core that is really you know you can have like these just immaculate games whereas i think at least with burrow those games are possible so i would actually even though i'm not the highest on burrow's fantasy you know uh, outlook right now i would probably lean a little bit more to him
0: All right. Another question on YouTube from Joey sucks. Great handle. Uh, Derek, this is a good one for you since you do all of the quarterback prospect research. Was Zach Wilson, a quick read guy at college at all? I remember hearing a lot about how he could like throw from weird arm angles. You get the Patrick Mahomes comparison and stuff, but like, I don't know. It hasn't gone great for him. I would say so far in the NFL and the situation is bad, but is he sort of approaching the game from the right perspective, given the talent around him? Do you think?
1: Um, I mean, I don't think Zach Wilson was very much of like a quick read guy at all. I think uh, any of the quick stuff they did in college with him was really like a lot of like RPOs, um, a lot of them to the outside. I think that was kind of their thing, or he would just be like, you know, uh, you know, a lot of offenses do this, but like where they'll just run like a 10 yard out with your boundary receiver and your quarterback will just kind of automatically throw it. That was like the extent of Zach Wilson reading quick game. Like he just didn't really do it a lot. So I think the, the the value that crowder is probably going to get it is not so much like in the drop back quick game where where wilson is just hitting him right at the end of the drop it's going to be a little bit more of the maybe zach wilson scrambles and needs the closest guy to him probably going to be crowder uh maybe he's checking it down late in the play probably going to be crowder so i don't think it's so much as like you know the one two three hit the top of your drop quick game stuff i think it's going to be a little bit more crowder is kind of picking up the pieces where some of the other guys might not
0: okay very fair All right, we have one more waiver guy to hit on, Derek, and that's Kenneth and or Kenny Gainwell uh, for the running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. Honestly, I'm not sure what he prefers to go by, but I've seen some Kenny lately, so I think he's clearly kind of making some waves in the NFL. Uh, Last week, I wouldn't say he was tremendously productive, had just three carries, but did score a touchdown, but more importantly, six catches for 58 yards on eight targets. Uh, Miles Sanders really hasn't been getting as big a, a workload share as you might have expected entering the season. And in terms of snap shares, it was 39% for Gainwell versus 64% for Sanders on Sunday. So Gainwell, like it's not a not a traditionally valuable, I would say wor- workload, but he's kind of got that J.D. McKissick type of role where he's got a 12.6% target share, top 15 at the position. From a deeper PPR league perspective, maybe that has value. But like, do you think this has been a little bit of a product of you know the touchdown and some of these other kind of fluky things, or do you think Gainwell is? Is really making waves and could be a major part of the Eagles' offense this season.
1: You know, I think if they start running the ball more, it's not going to be Gainwell. I think it would be Sanders. So maybe that's kind of why you might want to steer away from him. But I do think the way that they use him is really cool. When they went to a lot of empty stuff um, this past week, he was kind of the guy that they were moving around and trying to get into space and trying to get him the ball. You know, they had one play where they had him split out to the left, I think, in empty. He motions in, he runs a shallow, um, and then Hertz kind of gets pressured and is able to find him on the shallow. I think on maybe a f- fourth and two it might have been. So like, it's clear that they're trying to find ways to get him the ball. I think they had another screen that they threw out to him to the right. Um, so they the, he's a guy who I think they clearly are trying to give the ball, um, just not so much out of the backfield. He's a little bit more of a guy who... I think you move him around a little bit almost in the same vein as like Naheem Hines. I think he he maybe has a little bit more explosive potential, but I think that's kind of the situation that, that you're looking yeah. at
0: here. And and the obvious comparison with the Eagles is I think Darren Sproles, because Gainwell is mm-hmm. super short, right? He's like five right. foot seven or five foot eight. Uh, so that kind of what sparks to the mind there. But mm-hmm. like to me, is is this a bigger, like a broader offensive question with the Eagles? We have a question from useful Baker kind of hitting on this point, but it's like, how much of this is about Jalen Hurts? Because like Hertz is carrying the ball. An unusual rate for for like their players, which may be hurting Sanders' carry workload here. But he also was a player that is kind of a throwing it down the sidelines or checking down type of quarterback, right? So like, how would this change with Gainwell if if suddenly you know Joe Flacco were the quarterback, or, or you know if if Hertz got hurt or if they decided to bench him? looking at, you know, Gardner Minshew as a potential option or something along those lines, like how much of this is a product of Hertz's game specifically? Or do you think Gainwell maybe have a little has a little bit more that could work with other quarterbacks too?
1: I mean, I think he's still probably one of their best options to try to get out into space. I mean, I think Devonta Smith is also really good in that regard. And he's obviously sure. just like a much better player, period. Uh, you know he went top 10 for a reason but um, <laughs> I, I think Gainwell is still really good in space and I think if they're going to have to be this offense that is very like touchdown to check down I think Gainwell is a really good like you know shallow check down option for them to try to get the most out of every touch that they're getting in that area regardless of who the quarterback is um, the one thing I would say is that like I, I really don't know how they're going to get the running game going like I don't know what they want to do with it it seems like Sirianni just has no understanding of run pass balance and, and doesn't really know how to fix that problem. Um, Cause I don't think they're like, they might not have the best offensive line anymore, but I think they're still like a competent offensive line and they've shown some cool concepts when they do run the ball, they just don't do it. And so I, I'm, I, I honestly don't know how, or if they're going to fix that. Um, but I think at least as far as the passing game goes, Gainwell is still pretty much regardless of quarterback. I think someone who they're going to try to get the ball to like outside the numbers, that sort of area.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up the 12 waiver wire guys we wanted to hit on on today's show. So thanks everybody for listening and hopefully following along live on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, As mentioned, there's a waiver wire article that I wrote that's up on footballoutsiders.com right now with all of these fab recommendations, and I hit on more guys there. So if you are looking for somebody specific that Derek and I didn't hit on, check that out. Derek, obviously always a pleasure to have you on Tuesdays to break this down. Tell everybody where they can read and, and see all of your great work.
1: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you guys can check me out, um, at football outsiders, obviously I'll do, a, I'm going to be doing my film room on Thursday. I think I'm probably writing about the Washington defense. Um, okay. Aaron had mentioned he went, he wanted to see what was up with that. And so I'm, curious I'm probably going to, yeah. Cause I mean, I think everyone thought they were going to be a top five unit, um, at least top 10 and they look horrendous. So <laughs> I, I think it's definitely worth exploring, um, over at Bleacher Report. I think pretty soon we're going to start getting in some early grades. Um, which is nice for some of the front seven stuff that I do. And then over at odds checker,
0: obviously I do some of my betting stuff. Joey sucks says writing about the frauds. Well, I'm just happy <laughs> that he's not talking about the Carolina Panthers in that respect. So I guess we'll go full circle with that. Uh, but thanks everybody for participating in the chat. And if not, we, we you know, we, we love it when you guys listen to us on the football outsiders podcast network as well. However, it is that you prefer to consume us. We appreciate your support. Uh, again, we're Monday through Friday on, in all of our various channels. So s- swing back tomorrow to hear Aaron Shots and Mike Tanier with an Ask Me Anything uh, episode. Be sure to send him in whatever questions that you want to ask. And we'll look forward to talking to you again Friday for the Fantasy Show previewing the Week 5 games. Until then, everybody enjoy your week.